Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Not that I'm in it myself, but I believe you're about to win the Fantasy Football League at work. Yep. Steamrolling away with us. Yep. <laughs> One man to thank again. Jamie Vardy. You know, oh, we'll talk been, about him later on, but... You've been the beneficiary of a Vardy party. Yeah, yeah, a Jamie Vardy number nine Virgin Media t-shirt just to celebrate so, the occasion. What is the secret to winning the Football League, the Fantasy Football League? Look. But do you have, have to be have, honest? You had a team, didn't you? I had a team. <laughs> I had a team in a former workplace and I paid a sports colleague to manage my team for me. You and it paid did, a colleague yeah, to manage I've it. I've never yeah. heard of him. Well, yeah, and it did quite well. It was doing better than his own team because he was spending so much time focusing on my team. So it didn't win it though. It didn't you, win you it. You get what you pay for. But do you have to be across it all the time? Like you've got to be changing your players quite a lot. I do, yeah. Okay. Or just lie, cheat, steal and win. So you've no secrets to <laughs> that's, to that's the Chamber's way. No, just, just to rely on Jamie Vardy. <laughs> You're very welcome along to the latest episode of the Group Chat Podcast. I'm news correspondent Sarah King and I'm joined by political correspondent Gavin Riley. Good evening. Hello. And our very own white van man, Richard Chambers. I look at it as well, yeah. I've been fresh <laughs> off the sides here. I've been busy doing DIY for the week there and uh, yeah, so if anybody's watching in the video is wondering why I look like this. I'm enjoying the selfies Hard of you it. and Cooper in that van together. Yeah, Cooper's yeah. the hardest working dog at showbiz. <laughs> so he's not great at lifting stuff, is that dog, no. but um, yeah. But he's uh, Words an, of affirmation an, an adorable uh, foreman, is what you described as. You're getting him to do the work, so yeah. So you are driving your van around, that's why you're not on the news for the next uh, week or two, you're quite a busy man. Just gives me more time to look at Magatha Christie, Wag- doesn't it? Which is where we're going to start today, because listen, how could we not? How it has been not? utterly phenomenal. Um, look, Wayne Rooney is furious with Jamie Vardy for releasing a statement accusing him of talking nonsense on the stand in the Wagatha Christie trial instead of having the guts to say something in court. Uh, this is about Euro 2016, Richard. Mm. Uh, there was a bit of a, what would we say, an interception from the England management team? So Jamie Vardy, so let's 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 break it down to his bare points on, parts on this. Okay, so Jamie Vardy turned up for the first time in this whole thing there the other day, uh, and he was there watching. As but Wayne, he's been busy playing. Like yeah, he it is. He's, he's playing, on football yeah. duties as a uh, as I said. just been mentioned. Winning, he's about to win me the fantasy football league. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 illustrious uh, Virgin Media League uh, fantasy <laughs> trophy. Um, but he uh, was there to watch Wayne Rooney, uh, his former captain in the England national team, take the stand. Uh, and he has been dutifully there every single day of this whole escapade so far, staring into space for five hours every single day. Uh, he has become perhaps my favourite person in the world as Wayne Rooney in recent times. <laughs> he's, lent, just... he's lent himself to some wonderful artwork. <laughs> Absolutely, I love, it. I, I, I love it. I love it. I love the fact he's been there all the, all the way through it. And I'll come back to a quote he actually had, which made me cry with laughter. But um, So Wayne Rooney was on the stand and he was asked about in Euro 2016 uh, when he was captain of England. Jamie Vardy was there and there was that whole... Um, there was, a, there was a lot of back chat about um, Rebecca Vardy, Colleen Rooney and all the wags and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And Wayne Rooney said that the manager of England, Roy Hodgson, uh, as well as Gary Neville, who was a coach at England at the time, mm. uh, went over to Wayne and said, hey, Wayne, will you raise with Jamie Vardy? You know, there's been a disquiet about some of Rebecca Vardy's activities. bringing a lot coach of... was she needs to calm down. Yeah, which is very... It's a bit triggering. Yeah, it's very, very yeah. loaded words. Yeah, it is. Um, so Wayne said, all right, I'm the gaff, I'm the captain, I'll go do this. 
Uh, so he sat down with Jamie Vardy. He says that uh, Rooney was having a coffee and Jamie Vardy, very much sticking to character, was drinking a Red Bull. Uh, and he basically said, <laughs> as he said, uh, said, could you just ask your wife to, to calm down with all the extra activities? We're trying to you know, win this tournament or whatever. And uh, Jamie Vardy then took the extraordinary thing. This never happens. He released a statement mid-court case. Like outside the court, which wasn't you like, know, admissible in court. For, for a, totally a court case thing. which all centres around the relationship between Jamie Vardy's wife and her agent and how like interwoven their lives were, that Jamie Vardy's instinct was to go to a PR team and issue a statement mid-trial trying to contest some of the stuff which was being said in court in an inadmissible way. It's just sensational. I, I don't know what the judge is going to make of this, but it really just shows, I suppose, that like you have this Rebecca Vardy versus Colleen Rooney thing, and then you have Jamie Vardy versus Wayne Rooney, even though they exchanged a, a very curt nod, uh, I understand, when they first caught eyes with each other across the courtroom there the other day. But my favourite thing, my favourite thing was in um, Wayne Rooney, who we have, uh, we noticed last week, was there every single day, all the way through, holding Colleen's bag, holding the door open for people to walk past. England's record goal scorer, Man United's record goal scorer, just becoming this bag hand holding, <laughs> door holding man, uh, staring into space and learning a lot more about media law than any of us ever will yeah. learn. Yeah. Um, but he, he effectively ex expressed astonishment. Uh, some of the he apparently was hearing for the very first can time. Gonna, can I just I was just going to say, I'm really surprised that Wayne Rooney was sitting in court basically hearing about most of this for the first time. I mean... For a man who's been so diligent and by his wife's side, have they not discussed this at home at Has all? Has he been so diligent and by his wife's that, side? Well, just the last two weeks I got. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. He, he says, me sitting in this courtroom is the first time I'm hearing almost everything on this case. This week is really the first time I've had any understanding of what happened. Uh, Dr. Francis Ryan also quoted in this thing, I'm sorry, but I'm absolutely gone at Wayne Rooney's admission that until today, yeah. he had essentially no idea what the Wagatha Christie trial was all about. Colleen blatantly told him they were going down to Alton Towers today and he's just found out, found out that he was going to the High Court today <laughs> by surprise. But Gav, do you believe that? Come on, like you and your wife talk about everything. People talk to their partners. That's if you're not going yeah. down the High Court with your partner uh, without having some uh, like, idea of the contents of what you're about to hear. I, I do find it hard to think that whatever about in the run-up to the, the whole sting operation and the it's Rebecca Varley's account moment, mm. I find it very hard to believe that in the two years since that there wouldn't have been some chat. Oh, she's like, oh, no, sorry, sorry, it is important sorry to hubby, say I'm that about she, to be sued over this. Yeah, and that they wouldn't have had the whole... that she did say she didn't tell anyone while she was doing the sting operation, mm. not even her husband. But that for Wayne not to know about anything of the background until he goes to court when yeah. there's been like two years between the whole thing happening and the courtroom, I think is mad. What I also think is mad, by the way, is that like if you can imagine an international football tournament, I mean, like we know how we love in the rare occasions when Ireland is at one and it's the whole country's focus, but we know how into being in soccer tournaments, England fans get and English media get. And the idea that the manager of an England football team at a tournament is so distracted by the behaviour of one of the players' wives or girlfriends that he has to take the squad captain aside and say, can you have a word with your man to get his missus to basically not be around as much because she's legitimately hampering our efforts? That is wild. Yeah. Um, and what's particularly useful, of course, in all of that is that Rebecca Vardy at the time was writing a column about being a wag at the tournament for the Sun newspaper, which is also the same outlet in which all of these Colleen Rooney non-existent stories actually appeared, yeah. apparently through the conduit of Rebecca Vardy's account. 
So I, I curiouser actually, and curiouser. Yeah, I actually was at the Euro 2016 tournament. I was covering oh, it yeah. for news at the time. I don't mm. remember any of this, though, I have to be honest. I was We had other things going on. We we had had like, every, all the focus here was on Ireland. Though. It was yeah. really, and I suppose like the Irish fans were just so phenomenal. They were such a kind of a big thing at the time. Yes, so it yeah. was really, really huge. Just a couple of other things that happened uh, since we last recorded last week. I mean, the day after we rec- uh, recorded, uh, Rebecca Vardy was reduced to tears in court. She broke down crying. I mean, she's had a couple of moments like that along the way. It's kind of, sometimes it's hard to... Um, Remember, it's easy to forget that actually she's the one who's taken this case mm. and, oh God, yeah, and you know, denies uh, being responsible for leaking and is suing Colleen Rooney over this. But it's just, it hasn't been a great two weeks for her. No, it really hasn't. I mean, would you tell, not, tell if you what, Rebecca Vardy, you're kind of regretting Tell you what, what's been worse. Who's this? Who's that supposed to be? Oh my God. <laughs> does that look like the person who is the head honcho of Richard's fantasy football team? Can does I? That, does that bear any resemblance at all I think that's to quite, England I think that's and Leicester City's Jamie Vardy. For Jamie Vardy. That's very abstract, isn't it? It's very... It's, um, it's like a Picasso version of Jamie Vardy. Unbelievable. It's like they basically put all the features on the page and just decided, oh, that'll do. There's another one that I they think did. it's quite a flattering one of Jamie there's, Vardy. There's this one as well from yesterday. This is yes. like a group oh, picture sorry, of four yes, of them. Look this one. This one, this one that is, looks like Edwin Poots. That's Sean Bean or uh, somebody <laughs> suggested that it's uh, David Coulthard, the former David Coulthard is good. It's got a square jaw. I do think it looks like short-lived Democratic Unionist Party leader Edwin Poots. I but, think it's, that's generally the vibe. Jamie Vardy looks nothing like that. I'm very sorry. Yeah, I think that's a better looking than Jamie Vardy, though. I think that whoever's, is, whoever's yeah. drawn this is quite complimentary. A bit more stoic version of Jamie Vardy. for these courtroom sketches. Yeah. yeah, the Wayne Rooney ones were pretty awful. Still love them. They're not getting <laughs> I have a wallet better, full of them. though. They're not improving. <laughs> <laughs> they're there with the group chat badges. They're rotating a screensaver. They're there with the group chat badges that you're going to be giving away shortly. God bless them. Uh, just in terms of Colleen Rooney speaking in court, she said that she decided not to go to Vardy before uh, posting the accusation in public. She said, I know it sounds tough, but at the time I didn't think she would tell the truth even if I confronted her. She also uh, feared that Vardy would try to brief a friendly journalist if she had advance warning. Mm. I mean, yeah, mm. I suppose if she had that relationship with well, I think Yeah, and I think that's what they've been working to show. Mm-hmm. I think the, the most explosive thing we saw so far, in my view, was the treasure trove of the screenshots mm. of the private stories that um, Colleen Rooney had posted to yeah. try and ensnare the person who was leaking all these stories to the sun. There was also the text messages between Rebecca Vardy and her assistant, mm. uh, Caroline, and doesn't look great. Are those screen crabs, are they not basically just case open and case closed straight away? Like, is the, if the whole ethos, well, if Colin Rooney said, oh, I posted these pictures, only one person saw them, it's Rebecca Vardy's account. And she's got screen grabs to prove that was the case. Mm. Is that not the ball game? Unless it's... Well, the like, agent, though, is, is obviously... The it's all about who well, yeah. actively Access the, the account stories. and leaked it, yeah. And, uh, and whether or not, if it was the assistant, whether or not she had the agency from Rebecca Vardy that she believed she was doing this with the implicit approval mm. of Rebecca Vardy. Can't wait now for the, the judgment the is going to take a couple of weeks. Coming, yeah. The closing statements yeah. are going to be absolutely extraordinary. I can't wait. That, that's 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 like I don't know royal wedding level of television. <laughs> to be honest, I, I think you have to tune in for for what's happening, what's coming down the line. I, I hope whenever we do that, we do send Deborah Naylor, our court reporter, back. Yeah. Oh my god, extraordinary work Deborah Naylor. She's been doing brilliant for the last three when days. When we realised that Deborah was over there, we were like, oh like, my god, this has been a phenomenal. Like, what a gig! What, what a, a gig. gig! What a gig! And she's done an amazing, amazing job. Um, I suppose before we wrap up on it. Um, like just your overall thoughts before we get those closing statements. Do you think if you're like if I'm Rebecca Vardy, I'm going to be honest, I'm regretting taking. This I'm case. I'm not waiting two weeks before I decide what happened here. That this is case closed. Good you luck. Think it's, yeah. Good luck. 
good luck. And why would you instigate this case? Why would you do it? Right, that is, so that is, I think that's the question yeah. which everybody is asking. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter what actually comes out of this if Rebecca Vardy wins this case. Was it worth it? Probably not. There's a lot of um, material out there which I think has probably yeah. harmed her so, reputation. So even if there. she wins, she loses. It's actually more of a, it's an alien versus predator situation. Whoever wins this, I think all of us as a society have lost uh, so much, but gained in many other ways, many other hilarious ways, I think. I think it's interesting just as well. Another point that came up just to, to market was that Colleen Rooney had said that, you know, this is costing so much money. You know, I think she had wanted to settle with the other side of it as well. Mm. And there was a whole other thing about how Colleen Rooney spoke about how she had kind of been catapulted into the limelight from the time she was 16 and that she never courted media attention and there was sort of a comparison that made to maybe that Rebecca Vardy was in a different situation that she was sort of constantly accused of courting media attention and that, mm. you know, for example, she had asked to move seats at some tournament to sit behind Colleen it's the, Rooney. the technique which in politics they call the Sean Kelly test because Sean okay. Kelly MEP had a great knack of always sitting right in the line of the TV camera in the backdrop whenever Enda Kenny was doing some sort of address. Yeah. And she has taken that technique from Irish politics and polished it off to a fine art, apparently, by always sitting behind Colleen so that she'd be in the TV shots, knowing that Colleen or Cheryl Cole would always be in the, in the picture. Would always be there. Okay, well, we're excited for the outcome. Just don't want the, Jamie Vardy to be distracted towards the end of the season. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I mean, it's quite important. I think I put, speak for all just, of us. Just put the head that. down now, Jamie, and get, get through this all. What do you win if you win that football league? I no idea. I don't it's care. It's like 100 euros. I, I have been so far from winning. I don't, <laughs> nobody cares about this. But you can ask, ask our boss, uh, Mick McCaffrey, who actually won last year's one. Did Mick win last Mick year? Mick won last year's one, yeah. He's quite into it. He's quite into it. Um, before we move on, how are we getting on as we're recording tonight? As we're recording tonight, yeah. this is this is the how, how amazing a dynamic so live. live podcast is. Yeah. Uh, just as we are speaking right now, in the last couple of minutes, two Green Party TDs, Nasa Harrigan and Patrick Costello, have indeed broken ranks with the government. They have Ooh. voted in favour of a Sinn Féin motion about the ownership of the National Maternity Hospital. The rest of the coalition were instructed to abstain and did so. There haven't been any other defections but that does mean that the two of them have explicitly defined an instruction as to how they should vote. And it does mean that both of them are likely to face some kind of disciplinary sanction. And that in itself, actually, is a little bit of a subplot to this whole maternity hospital thing, because I've been around Leinster House all day, only came straight from, from there to here for this podcast. And there are a lot of figures in the other two coalition parties who would say, um, yeah, there should be some sanction. You can't just break the whip and not get sanctioned in one way or another. But it is unthinkable that you would only give two coalition TDs a slap on the wrist for uh, breaking the breaking ranks, losing the whip, uh, disobeying instructions. But somebody else from Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil who did exactly the same thing could potentially be expelled from their parties or at the very least suspended for six months. Mm -hmm. And they are concerned actually that you create a bit of a slippery slope or a contagion effect if you start to allow kind of willy-nilly breaches of government discipline, particularly when the numbers are so thin. Because if hypothetically these two TDs are kicked out of the coalition or kicked out of the Green Party or suspended in some way, um, then the three coalition parties are down to 80 votes in the Dáil. Mm. 159 TDs participate in votes. The minimum number you need for a majority is 80. Mm. So you can't afford then, if you only have 80 votes you can bank on, you can't afford to be getting people upset or, or opening up other kinds of worms so or, or, so pursuing, or pursuing bans on turf uh, sales, for example, which is something that's going to have to be coming down the line mm. and which will be contentious and under which some government TDs will, will want to break ranks. So there's a lot of contentious stuff coming up and other parties will not at all be happy if the Greens get away with a slap on the wrist. But anything more than a slap on the wrist does 
have enormous consequences. Has huge consequences for the viability. And just to remind us of why they voted differently. So they voted this way because uh, NASA Harrigan and uh, Patrick Costello are specifically in favour of state ownership of the land at Elm Park, upon which we're going to build the National Maternity Hospital. We might get into some of the exchanges on that in a moment. Yeah, and and, and most government TDs are, uh, but the deal was signed off on Tuesday morning in Cabinet. It is now effectively a done deal. You can talk until the cows come home about whether it's the right thing or not, but the deal has now been signed off, so it's kind of done. Um, But Sinn Féin tabled a motion which is being voted on literally as we speak. They're still counting the votes on the screen in front of me as we talk, Mm. um, where they were looking for the state to go back and try and compel public ownership. And the government said, well, this is irrelevant because the deal is already done, so we'll just allow the motion to pass, but it doesn't make a difference. And suddenly, lo and behold, shenanigans were afoot and a vote was called. And that's what puts the government in such a difficult position because you have the likes of Harrigan and Patrick Costello who say, specifically, signed an open statement a month ago saying, nothing less than state ownership will suffice because anything other than that will always leave open the question of someone else's ethos or somebody else having a say in the governance and running of the hospital. Mm. But then you've got other Green Party TDs like Stephen Matthews in, in Wicklow or um, Mark O'Hollis in Waterford who signed exactly the same statement. Uh, but who are prepared to, to tolerate what has been put on the table as the best option available. Um, to be honest, I'm a little bit surprised that the government has decided to pick this as a bit of a hill to die on because the motion only is non-binding, first of all. It's entirely symbolic. It doesn't commit anyone to do anything. But all the motion does is really call for the government to do something that it already tried to do unsuccessfully, but to go back to Vincent's and try and buy the site anyway. Uh, and they've already done it. They could have just voted in favour of it and it would have been mildly mortifying because it somewhat contradicts what they did at Cabinet yesterday. But they wouldn't lose some of their own TDs about it mm-hmm. and the world would keep turning and everyone would be fine. But this, they've already done it is kind of the thing that came up this week and that's sort of what sparked a lot of this because David Cullinan, obviously Sinn Féin's health spokesperson, speaking in the Arachnus Health Committee on Monday when St Vincent's um, Hospital Group were in, asking about that effort to buy it and asking about sort of when was the most recent approach to buy it and, you know, sort of how serious and meaningful was that approach. Mm. And then James Menton, uh, the chair of St. Vincent's Hospital Group, saying, look, um, yeah, you know, we had communication with the Department of Health, but I wouldn't have described it as being a serious and meaningful approach. And then subsequently, obviously, the letter that Robert Watt yeah. uh, wrote to Well, Jimmy because Menton. James Menton's uh, testimony would therefore completely contradict what Stephen Donnelly had told had the Dole the, the previous week, where he was asked, you know, how, did you specifically pick up that baton and go for it? And he went, yeah, of course I did. Mm. And then Menton was saying, well... He didn't really. Yeah, and I suppose <clears throat> then it's one's interpretation of what is serious and meaningful, I yeah. suppose, is called into question at that point. Um, a letter that Robert Watts, Secretary General of the Department of Health, had written to Jimmy Menton was then sort of circulated around. <clears throat> the letter had been written on the 26th of July last year. Uh, the letter had sort of stated, look, it's the government's uh, preference to own the land, but then sort of noted that the 299-year uh, lease agreement would also be a an acceptable alternative. Yeah. So I think again then there was a question mark over whether or not yeah, writing somebody a letter to say, mm. you know, we want to buy the land, like, but then if kind you of giving outline, them an out if you outline your own plan B, then you're not in really the same pursuing plan A. Then that's the question. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was what Mary Lee MacDonald was sort of picking up on in terms of uh, going after that and how yeah. robust the attempt to buy the land was. So, but but so uh, and that this then also led to some angst yesterday because the T shock was uh, almost a bit smug in getting to his feet in the dull chamber and saying, well, actually, you know, uh, Mr. Mention, I believe, is prepared to correct the record on that front to, uh, you know, haha, don't believe everything you hear in your octus, which is, <laughs> I don't think, quite the slam dunk that it might have been intended to be. Um, but now we, we, it, it is now, it is a done deal and we can continue to talk about it and no doubt uh, opposition TDs in the Dáil will continue to talk about it and they'll complain about whether there will still be some kind of chilling religious hand. But, but the deal is, is done now, pending, of course, a business plan 
uh, our business case being approved by the Department of Public Expenditure. Because amazingly, we've been having all of this discussion around, you know, do we own the land? Is there such a thing as leasehold ownership? Are we in control? Do Vincent's have an ethos? And in the middle of all of that, uh, the government hasn't actually said, yeah, this is good value for money, we sanction it. The likes of Dr Peter Boylan described it as a dark day for women's healthcare there, Richard. There's been a lot of people who are quite upset and disappointed by the outcome of all of this. Certainly are. I was at the, the protest outside the Dáil um, over the weekend, last weekend, and some very, very strong feelings there amongst the people who were very much of the view that it should be a public hospital, publicly, fully publicly owned hospital and fully publicly owned land. Um, also very much taking out that this is something that they're prepared to to go to the wall on, that they're going to vote on this issue. They specifically targeted green TDs and green ministers around the cabinet table saying, look, if you don't do this, if you don't you know, go against this deal, we're going to remember it and you're going to pay the price then when it comes back around to election time. You had some very, very um, long-standing campaigners, Alva Smith, for example, amongst mm. them, who were all there. Big turnout, a lot of different ages represented well, as well. Alva for many years, actually. Yeah, and did a lot of. Did she bring any sheep that she can now graze on the commons of Dublin as a free woman of the city? Oh, yes, she... of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I thought I thought it was interesting <laughs> that there was a big spread of ages there. A lot of people now who will have. I spoke to one woman who um, was in one of the mother and baby homes. Stuff like that. People very much scarred by their experiences. Um, um, previously under the Catholic Church in this country. And I think that um, they don't feel that the government ever was serious enough about addressing their concerns about it. The government will obviously say that it doesn't feel that their religious influence is anywhere near there. But you have to say there is definitely a disconnect in how a broad swathe of the public has taken all this and how the government has intended them to take this. And I don't know how that all plays out, but I do feel that there's probably going to be an element of added rancour and added anger, I think, uh, which is going to stick around for quite some time. On it this. does beg the question as to what the government thought it was actually doing or what was the purpose of the fortnight change? Because even when there was talk of, you know, between this episode and last, there was talk of some sort like of... Nothing changed. Yeah, there, were talk, there was talk of a legal codicil where you would define exactly what oh was God. meant by, yeah. by clinically appropriate. And there was and talk that that was happening and that it was that Jennifer Carroll yeah. McNeil was working yeah, on well, it. Yeah, drafted it. And then I went oh, to a, a press event that morning in Salons <clears> and asked the Taoiseach, so what's going on? Are you doing it or are you open to changes? And the Taoiseach was like, well, no because personally, I don't think that there is anything here to misinterpret, so I don't see the need to clarify it. And that was that, book closed. And I'm told as well that the Department of Health um, was completely blindsided by that report and was pretty aghast to learn in a newspaper that there was a legal addendum being added to something which it had shepherded uh, thus far. So it was entirely uh, news to it as well. But what is the point of the fortnight's delay if the only thing you're going to do is explain it more? Because then a lot of people will hear that as are you saying that the deal is fine and we're just too stupid to understand? Because that's how it comes across for a lot well, of people who feel very... One very place where it, it did go down very well, actually, was in Turkey. Oh, my God. <laughs> it went down really well in Turkey, actually. Huge fans. Huge fans Which of the is, National Charity Hospital. Uh, you know, yeah. really, like, it's lovely to see so much interest in Irish, yeah. uh, in Irish discourse in, in Turkey. Yes. Good memes. Yeah. Good memes. Good memes. Uh, this. this, of course, for, for people who didn't catch it, is the fact that Stephen Donnelly's tweet yesterday, uh, triumphantly boasting about the... Uh, the positive elements of this new arrangement having signed off by Cabinet uh, was immediately retweeted by 200 Turkish accounts um, and per apparently precisely 200 Turkish <clears> accounts, <throat> none of whom appear to have expressed much of an interest in anything to do with Irish politics hitherto. And people are allowed to take an interest in things. And the apparently their interest was very short-lived because as soon as people observed that these 200 Turkish accounts had retweeted Stephen Donnelly's message, uh, then immediately those 200 accounts... <laughs> 
unretweeted it, detweeted if you like, huh. and then we're probably suspended from Twitter altogether. Three hundred. Uh, it was something. I think three hundred is a figure of accounts which yeah, were which were suspended. suspended and Robin right. Hanrahan yes. had noted this. Our colleague. Yes, our, our yeah. colleague in the newsroom, and I was sitting beside him at the time because it was quite funny that he was like, "What's what's going on here now? Why is there so many uh, retweets picked up on this uh, all the time?" Other than Stephen Donnelly, obviously being being big in Istanbul, um, people said that the the explanation from the government and the minister that nobody had paid for some retweets was. Istanbul blank uh, <laughs> because this is a family podcast um, but, uh, but but then pe- people have been putting together the breadcrumbs from all of this and they've spotted that there's been plenty of other instances where tweets by Fianna Fáil or by Fianna Fáil members a lot of which are to do with the National Maternity Hospital have also been picked up by odd uh, numbers of Turkish followers and even weirder again was that yesterday after Rob uh, drew attention to this weird action Rob's own tweet which was drawing attention to this strange phenomenon, was also seized upon by a legion of 1,000 Turkish followers. Um, Rob is big in Ankara, obviously. Obviously. Um, for a short period. And then they too detweeted him and went away, which is all very curious. Well, I think it's, I, I for one think it's excellent to see that we have such an interest in Irish politics in Turkey. I, mm. I welcome mm. it. It is an interesting thing though, Zara, isn't it? Though, like um, this, it is, it, it can be quite amusing, I suppose, when you look at such an isol- uh, this in, in, in isolation you're like well what, what the hell do all these Turkish Twitter accounts want to do with Irish politics but like if you apply that across the boards and this happens in elections mm. or in referendums in live political issues on a bigger scale perhaps well then that can influence oh, no, really public sentiment yeah and, and, that's, and that's a really serious because we remember like four years ago for the referendum on, on the repeal of the Eighth Amendment something which the aforementioned Alva Smith was a very vocal mm. part and like social networks deciding that they were just going to stop taking paid advertising, particularly from outside Ireland, because a constitutional referendum, you're changing the very fabric of the state mm-hmm. and the idea that some foreigner could come along with some money and try to buy influence. And that if you had more money, you could buy more. Yeah, that, that was, was just distasteful. Yeah. But I, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who used to work in, in the security area um, last night after all of this, and I was sort of treating it as like, God, isn't this gas? Ha ha. And their argument was, actually, this is not quite so gas, because if you did have another highly charged referendum, if, if there was ever, for example, a referendum on Ireland leaving the European Union, or if there was a referendum on Irish unity, which is something which Leo Varadkar has been openly discussing about the criteria for uh, in the last 24 hours, um, you would have this prospect of some accounts in the Irish sphere, some influential, some less so, some trusted, some truthful, some less so, all potentially being unwittingly amplified by a thousand Turkish followers just suddenly retweeting your stuff and giving it legs in ways and prominence that it shouldn't otherwise have. Mm. And that is actually slightly less gas. And if it came to the genuine future of the country and whether we had a 32-county republic or not, the idea that the whole thing could be swayed or manipulated by somebody in bad faith manipulating stuff online is actually a, a bit of a worry. And it is far less gas than we might have treated it as four minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Have a round of you. I think it's yeah. a round of you on it. I mean, look, I think, yeah, the fact that there is any sort of like interference across the board is, is hugely problematic. And mm. we don't know who interfered with that at the end of the day. No, we don't know who's behind any nope. of that. And just to be clear on that, we don't know no. uh, who or what. And all, all parties involved, everyone who was the recipient of these retweets has all denied any involvement yeah, or, or same. Yeah. Uh, Fianna Fáil and the government said they both reported to Twitter subsequently last night. All the accounts that were involved all seem to have been suspended immediately. So... It is being actively looked at. Twitter, I don't think, would have suspended the accounts if they didn't think there was something vaguely malicious mm. going on. Um, all good reason for Elon Musk, though, to be having a good look at the all those stats about Twitter spam accounts because he's changed his mind, has he? Seems to be getting cold feet about it. Cold feet. 
Do you remember when I told us a couple of weeks ago that this probably <laughs> this may not ever happen? You did say that. Did then say the that. following week it did happen. Well, I said no, kind no, 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 no. But it hasn't happened yet. No, it, it's only happened when, it, when it's closed. Yeah, of course. Mm. Right. It hasn't only happened yet. when it's closed. So keep an eye on this. But like it is, it's so interesting that he's talking about he wants full audit of how many fake accounts there are on Twitter. And then over here in Ireland, we have 300 accounts suspended for yeah. retweeting our health minister's uh, video on the National Attorney Hospital. He, yeah, it, one to watch. You might it, get a, you might get wind of this. It, well, it, it, <laughs> well, it, well, if Stephen Lonley is the person who takes down Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, then the the the, the Tesla Huns will be out in force uh, like to an unbelievable Tesla degree. I'm sure there are Tesla Huns, <laughs> or well, they're probably Tesco Bros, more likely. But I'm sure there are some Tesco tes, Tesla Tesla Huns oh, as well. Um, t- Tesla, Tesla and Tesco Huns. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of Huns. But he's definitely like, like Elon Musk is definitely getting cold feet about the whole thing. Like he's now having like open spats. Do you remember like we were, again, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, mm. it was how he had like one of the preconditions was that he could not disparage members of the Twitter staff. And now like one of the senior figures in Twitter is saying that there is no way uh, that an outsider, the likes of which Elon Musk wants to appoint, could properly ascertain the number of fake accounts because you would need access to metrics which only Twitter internally can provide. And like, so you have like this, not maybe the CEO, but like the CTO or some major figure in Twitter who's posting a thread about how you can't prove or disprove this figure. This is our best estimate. And Elon Musk is replying with the poo emoji. Like, they, they, like he, he's, like he's almost doing his best I to like get coffee. It's to either, either negotiate down the share price beyond below what he offered a month ago or that he's now just got cold feet about the whole thing. He doesn't like being the gatekeeper for what is acceptable speech and what isn't, and that maybe the whole thing could go kaput pretty quickly. Well, he did say it was an impulse buy, didn't you? (laughs) I I did describe it as an impulse buy. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So just separately in the news today, um, the medical lab scientists uh, have been out on strike today. This is one of many dates they have in the diary. This is a pay dispute that has been rumbling on for a really long time. Um, look, before we get into it, actually, I want to just let, play a clip for you, just mm. so you can take a listen to, I suppose, those on the picket line today making a couple of valid points. You know, uh, some people find themselves in situations that they're getting paid less than people who are, you know, uh, below them on the scale they're getting paid less they're working hard to you know progress in their careers and still getting paid less a lot of them talking about the fact that they've had a really tough two years particularly around COVID-19 we've had huge reliance on lab staff and just saying that really they do not feel uh, like they are being respected and valued in their jobs and they're really struggling to retain talent we'll take a listen to some of the clips from today I started here as a medical lab aide here in St Vincent's and once I progressed in my career to be a medical scientist I actually had to take a pay cut so medical lab aides often report to scientists and even though I progressed, did five years of training, that still meant a pay cut at the end of the day. The last few years have been very stressful. You know, people have tried to work really hard. People have tried to keep up with the different demands and the extra demands. In the last two years, we've had, I'd say, 10 people leave our laboratory. For the last two years, it has been 
um, brutal onslaught nearly in work with uh, demand ramping up and very, very difficult with a lot of staff positions um, remaining unfulfilled. So Zara, for, for people who don't know fully about how important these jobs are mm. and the people who are behind them, like w- yeah. what, what's the sort of impact this has on how hospitals run, how the health service runs? Oh, like it's huge. Like it's enormous in terms of, you know, pathways of care. When we talk about, we hear them talk about pathways of care. The lab is a huge part of that. For example, today I was talking to one doctor um, based in the south of the country who said that for operations, for example, today only 20% of operations could go ahead. So it means that the other 80% now, people might, who might have waited for ages to finally get their date for their operation are now finding themselves uh, not knowing when it's going to come up again. And they're going to have to try and find slots to try and stick in these mm. extra... Because you can't just push everyone a day back, so you need to find cancellation no. slots for everyone else. And even, Can you explain, sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, what is the, how does a lab come into a surgery? Like if you're going oh. in for a procedure, what is the role of a lab? Most basic thing, right, at the moment is you need to have a COVID test before you come in to have a procedure done. You have to get it done two days beforehand. So, for example, today, Wednesday, when we're recording, this was the day of the strike, so labs weren't doing COVID tests. So anyone who's going in for an operation on Friday would have had to have had their COVID test today. So it means that it does have a knock-on effect. Mm. And there's other dates booked in for next week. You've got two days booked in next week, uh, another day on the 31st of May, and then two dates in June. So what the doctors are telling me in the hospital is absolutely they support their lab colleagues, by the way, they're fully you know, behind them and they back them and all of this. But the reality is it has a massive knock-on effect. Mm. Now they are operating um, in the labs a small, you know, for emergencies, I should say that as well, that you know, if there's any sort of emergency care coming through, that uh, basically the doctors will go to the strike committee, make their appeal and, and it'll work through. But... Um, Doctors saying that they can manage maybe one day of backlog just about. And like I say, they'll try and find slots to put in things. But like if it starts to add up to two, three, four, like you're talking about a massive, massive knock-on effect. And GP services too, because like yeah. I, I was at an event earlier on that happened to be somebody from the Irish College of General Practitioners there as well. And they're talking about if you have anyone who's got a general malaise who comes into your clinic and yeah. you need to send them off for, for bloods or whatever, or if you want to send them for a COVID test, which is still quite prevalent for a lot of them. Yeah, no, you, just, totally. you just can't do it because the services aren't there. So, And, and it, it's remarkable actually when you hear some of the people like you had in your, in your Vox Pop, some of the people who are involved working in the front line, just how crucial they are like as a central hub for everything else that goes on in the hospital and for their conditions to apparently be so poor and for the prospects of progression to be so weak and the fact that they are literally paid less than the jobs that they already had. Like to take a pay cut to get promoted into that job. It's ridiculous. It's just wild. Just to give you another example of that, actually, just really quickly, in Vincent's, 10 people had left the lab in the last year and the jobs are just still vacant. They can't get anyone to replace them. 10 people. So everyone else in the lab is now doing the work of those 10 people who left. Which means that the conditions of those left behind are even worse again. Totally. And just a direct quote from from one of those doctors I spoke to today said, not having access to the lab puts patients in a really dangerous situation. So that's, you know, the labs are so, so essential and enormous pressure to get that sorted. Uh, Before we go... Ukraine won the Eurovision. They did. Congratulations. They I mean, did. I think everyone was collectively expecting that and delighted to see it happening. Richard will now sing us the winning entry. Yeah. <laughs> What's the tune again? Yeah. Stephanie. It was very good. It though. was very um, good. Did you see the video? Yeah. You sent us the video? The video is very actually, good. Yeah. yeah. So the, basically they have a music video recorded uh, in Ukraine in places like Bucha and Irpin and places we'll have heard in the news. Uh, it's the a tearjerker, I warn you. Of massacres. Um, and they didn't want to release the video before Eurovision for fear that they'd politicise it and that yeah. they'd effectively, you know, mm. their win would be null and void. Uh, so they released it the day after they won. It's absolutely, it's, it's really worth watching. 
Um, and yeah, it seems to have provoked um, yeah very strong feelings. Uh, well, it Europe really was. did because of the of the thirty nine other countries, twenty eight of them gave Ukraine their douze poire. Now, not necessarily because the song was all that memorable. Like it was sort of catchy. You sort of hear it and go, yeah, that's that. Like it's got a bit of a hook. But the following morning, you'd be like, what was the? How did that song go again? Wouldn't necessarily remember. But twenty eight of the thirty nine gave it the douze poire. Another eight gave it their ten points. And two more gave it the eight. And the, the last country, what, Serbia... What did we give it? Ser- we gave it our 12 points. Oh God, Serbia, the country that liked it least, yeah. still gave it seven points. Mm. Like, to be in, in, the, in the top four for every other participant country, even if... if well, look, if it is a sign of musical merit, then maybe it is. I don't, I don't think that was probably really the, the gesture that people were making. But it is actually a sign that there isn't necessarily pockets of Europe that don't buy what's going on or that they're, they're kind of falling into the Russian mm. sphere or that they're falling under the influence of what their big neighbour beside them might be saying, that there is almost universal support for them across the continent, which if that was the gesture that people were trying to spread, then was clearly a message well received. Yeah, and sure, it was kind of nice for people like Vladimir Zelensky, I think, to have that feeling of support, you know, behind them. I think that's an, it's a morale booster, if nothing else. Obviously, mm. it's just been incredibly difficult. He did um, say we will do our best to one day host the participa- participants and guests of Eurovision in Ukrainian Mariupol, uh, free, peaceful and rebuilt. Now, that was obviously... Uh, the day before the situation in Mariupol mm. severely deteriorated. Uh, there has already been some suggestions put to the Taoiseach that Ireland could step in as a substitute host. Why, did we, why do we do this? Richard is holding his Richard face like, for those who... I, 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 know people, I know people mean well, but like, why would we get it? As opposed to any of the because other countries. we're great, Richard. We're Ireland and we're the centre of the universe. Yeah, But like, I, I, I get it, I get it. And people mean well and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but I, I just... But also leave They're it, gonna, leave they it can for a week it. or two before they can host bring it, it in Kiev well. to, like tomorrow if they want it. Yeah. In Ukraine. They absolutely could. Mm. Like, why, why, why do we want us to crowbar ourselves into this well, and steal Ukraine's Europe? Bring everyone into Kiev tomorrow. But I know what you're saying. Like, I suppose the, the European Broadcasting Unit, I presume they, they, or Union, I should say, I presume they start planning maybe a year in advance. I did read some of the, I suppose the work. Yeah, I think there, there, was, there was a little bit of a, for Italy who's just had it, I think there was a kind of an internal competition where the, the 17 cities of Italy had a contest to see who would actually have the right to host it. So I presume you don't have to start planning with a specific venue literally on day one. There is a little bit of scope, but definitely it's going to be complicated when you can't be sure what the security situation mm. in, in Ukraine is yeah. going to be at the time. Uh, Michal Martin was asked about all of this and he was asked, you know, should we should we offer to step in? Should should our famously cash-strapped national broadcaster step in and try and rent a venue which is larger than any than we currently have on the island to host this competition? And the T-shirt oh, reminded yeah. us that actually he was the Lord Mayor uh, in Cork when Neve Kavanagh won it in Mill Street in 1993 because he managed that to find... His, that was his response. That was his retort to okay. whether Ireland Ooh, should there. step in oh, and host the Eurovision. Some sort of Irish Forrest Gump figure just <laughs> happening into historical events that they happen. No disrespect, but that, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's like, ah, here's the thing I was present for. Well, listen, I mean, you know, listing one's achievements, self-praise and all that. How fantastic. Well, listen... That, we're just out of time, I think. Yeah, I suppose if we didn't have the Eurovision on, we could stand outside handing out group chat badges. Yeah. We, oh my God, yes. Sorry, so we nearly forgot. So last week, you might remember that uh, our lovely Killian, who works on the team here at the mm. podcast, uh, made some merch and uh, we're giving it away. With some three, of our, some of our landmark winners, quotes Richard? from podcast episodes <laughs> thus far. Uh, three winners for the badges. Uh, Ella plays cello, KL and happy snapper Jack. Uh, I'll give you all a message on Instagram and we'll work out a way of getting those badges to you. But congratulations. Do send your selfies of yourselves wearing the badges and let us know which of the three badges you prefer because obviously (laughs) there is profound internal competition among the three of us as to who has the best badge. I think his is the best, but do you think? Oh, definitely. I think your one's the best. Medium, dark, mocha, even Cooper. Aforementioned Cooper, the hardest working dog in showbiz. Cooper wears a gavel.
Not Gavin's bad. got the best yep. one, definitely. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining the group chat again for another week. I've been news correspondent Sarah King. Thank you, political correspondent Gavin Riley. Thank you, news correspondent Sarah King. Please leave a review. Thank you. And white fan man Richard Chambers. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Don't forget, as I said, to leave a review. If you're on, listening on Spotify, by the way, people have asked us, you can't leave a review on Spotify, but you can rate it. Uh, give us the old five stars, wouldn't mind. And we will catch you again next week. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.